The Atlanta Athletic Club, a history, written by Charles Eliot in 1973. Chapter 8. For the first 75 years, the Atlanta Athletic Club and the four 18-hole golf courses it operated over that period were generally devoted to the membership, and except for two major tournaments, were never on the circuit of the big national championships. Those two big-time tournaments, however, that made an appearance on the East Lake No. 1 golf course were outstanding in a number of respects. The golden anniversary of the Women's National Golf Tournament, played at East Lake on September 11th through the 16th, 1950, marked the first time a USGA National Tournament was ever played in Atlanta. According to records, it was brought to East Lake largely through the efforts of Mrs. W.D. Maddie Tumlin, a longtime member of the club, one of its most ardent golfers, and prominent in golfing affairs around Atlanta. The trophy awarded the winner of the USGA affair was an artfully decorated vase of Etruscan design, presented to the USGA in 1896 by Robert Cox of Edinburgh, Scotland, to be held by the winner for a year. The names on the cup included those of two Atlantans, Alexis Sterling, who won it three times, and Louise Suggs. In 1950, the defending champion was Mrs. Mark A. Porter of Philadelphia. Bob Jones was honorary general chairman of the committee. Bert Prather's report in the Atlanta Constitution might be seen as an understatement when he said, The Golden Anniversary Women's National Golf Championship passed into history late Saturday afternoon, when tall Bev Hansen stepped up to receive the coveted championship trophy from USGA President James D. Standish, Jr., but sports fans and participants alike will be discussing this one for months to come. In many ways, this tournament was one of the very best in the 50-year history. Visiting USGA officials and writers all agreed that Eastlake could not have improved on its role of hosting this big tournament. The tournament itself produced more than the usual run of good golf. The record-breaking 27-hole match, staged between Little May Murray and Uruguay's Faye Crocker, was a masterful exhibition by two of the gamest battlers in women's golf. This match may remain in the record books a long time. And who can forget Faye Crocker's great 32 on the front nine of her third-round match with Texas's Pat Garner? Or Helen Seigel's fine eagle three on the 540-yard par-5 fifth hole on Friday? Little May Murray's coming of golf age here was another highlight. No one even mentioned the little Vermonter as a title threat until she knocked off the highly rated Miss Crocker. And Crocker, too, did her bit to make the tournament a success. No one but the East Lakers who watched her practice diligently for four weeks were aware of her fine game. Now some experts believe she can knock with the one and only Babe Zaharias. All tournaments must have their favorites, but it's seldom that they are treated so roughly as they were here. A gang of youngsters came into this championship and took charge. One of them, 15-year-old Barbara McIntyre, was even so bold as to beat six-times champion Glenna Collette Vare. When the tournament reached the semis, only veteran Helen Seigel of the old ruling guard was still around. She fell there, leaving it up to a pair of youngsters. There was ideal weather throughout, which led to the largest galleries ever to attend the tournament. Another feather in AAC's cap. The story of the extra-length match was told more graphically in a plaque erected after the tournament. 
It commemorates the longest extra hole match between Miss May Murray of Rutland, Vermont, and Miss Faye Crocker of Uruguay. The match was scheduled for 18 holes. In the fourth round on Wednesday afternoon, September 13, 1950, the players were all square after 24 holes, when darkness stopped play. They resumed play the next day at noon, and Miss Murray won on the 27th hole. The nine extra holes were three more than the previous USGA championship record. The second notable event at Eastlake was the 15th biennial British-American Ryder Cup golf matches, played October 8th through the 13th, 1963, over the number one course. In preparation for the matches, the home course went through a facelift for three years. The improvements were made by Mel Warnicky, course superintendent, under the direction of George Cobb, noted golf course architect. One of the big improvements was in the reconstruction of the greens, which had always been blanketed with Bermuda grass in the summer months and rye in the winter, in those days the favorite covers of most southern golf courses. All greens were enlarged to championship size, underlaid with drainage tile and crushed stone, soil and topsoil and sodded with bent grass, all with an adequate built-in sprinkler system. Most bunkers were enlarged and 30 more added to tighten up the course and to make accuracy a premium. All holes were improved in one way or another. An example was number six, known as the Island Hole. This par three challenger was developed into one of the most beautiful holes on any course and later proved to be a favorite with the tournament players. It lay along and at a slight angle to the lake shore with the tee overlooking the green from the hillside and the putting surface and traps, occupying a goodly portion of the island. To increase the handicap on number six, the tee was extended to give the hole a playing distance of 180 yards. The new green was made into a cloverleaf, guarded by traps on the left front, right, and back. This is only one example of the lengthening, beautifying, and improving of the 18 holes for the Ryder Cup matches. The 1963 British Ryder Cup team of players and alternates consisted of non-playing captain John Fallon, pro at Huddersfield Golf Club, Yorkshire, Brian Huggett of Wales, who had made his mark both as a youngster and adult on continental courses, Neil Coles, who had competed in many U.S. tournaments and was almost as well known to Americans as to the Brits, Peter Alice, pro at Parkstone Golf Club in Dorset, and Ryder Cup veteran, having represented his country five times in the biennial matches, Bernard Hunt, pro at Hartsbourne Country Club just outside London, Tom Halliburton, a Scotlander who at one time or another had won just about every championship in his home country, Christy O'Connor of Galway, Ireland, and pro at Royal Dublin Golf Club, who had a long winning record behind him and was named Master Golfer in 1956 and 1959. Harry Wheatman of England, who had played in the last six Ryder Cup matches. David C. Thomas, a Welshman by nationality, but born in Newcastle-upon-Tyne, England, and called one of the leading young players in the British Empire. Di Rees of South Wales known as the leading tournament player in Britain for over a quarter of a century, and was on the list of Ryder Cup players but did not participate in the Eastlake matches. Jeffrey Hunt, younger brother of Bernard Hunt, who hoped to win a place on the team with his brother, and George Will, 26, who was born near St. Andrews and one of the youngest players to make his mark on the British circuit in the current year. 
The U.S. Ryder Cup team was said to be one of the strongest of all time, with five of its members having previously represented their country in the matches. Arnold Palmer of Latrobe, Pennsylvania, whose name was a household word in and out of golf circles, and who was later to be named Golfer of the Decade, was captain. His team consisted of Billy Casper Jr. of San Diego, California, who had turned pro in 1954 and was one of the top players on the circuit. Tony Lima of Oakland, California, known as Champagne Tony, for the champagne party he gave the press after each of his victories. Gene Littler of San Diego, known for his picture book swing and one of the current top money winners. Dave Reagan Jr., a youngster in comparison to the old pros, who finished second to Jack Nicklaus in the 1963 PGA Championship. Julius Boros of Connecticut and Florida, an old-timer who had won his share of the big tournaments. Dow Finsterwald, who played out of Florida and had been a member of every Ryder Cup team since 1957. Billy Maxwell of Abilene, Texas, who was U.S. amateur champion in 1951 at the age of 22. Johnny Pott from Missouri, at 27 the youngest member of the team, who had joined the tour in 1957. And Bob Golby from Illinois, said to be one of the finest all-round athletes in the ranks of professional golf. Bob Rosberg was first alternate. The Ryder Cup matches were originated in England by Samuel Ryder, who didn't start playing golf until he was past his 50th birthday, but became a disciple of the game. He conceived the idea of international competition between the best players in Britain and America, and in 1926, the first match was played at Wentworth between a select British team and American players who were in England for the British Open. Led by Walter Hagen, the Americans were thoroughly trounced, but the idea was born, and a schedule set up for the matches to be played the next year, and after that, every other year, with the host country alternating between the two nations. Mr. Ryder set up a trust fund that would make available a solid gold cup of beautiful design for the biennial winners. The first U.S. match was at the Worcester Country Club in Massachusetts, and with the exception of the World War II years, the matches have been held there ever since in the odd years. U.S. golfers chosen for the honor of playing on a Ryder Cup team are selected on a point system of wins and places on the PGA Tour, with 70 points going for a win, 42 points for a second place, and so on, down to 6 points for 10th place. The British have a similar pattern for selecting their players. There is no monetary reward for either team. The matches had always been a two-day affair, with four foursome matches of 36 holes one day and eight singles matches the second day, each at 36 holes. At Eastlake, for the first time, the Ryder Cup became a three-day tournament. The program stated, This is the second major change in the Ryder Cup matches in three years. In 1961, at St. Anne's-on-Sea, England, all of the matches were changed from 36 holes to 18 holes and the number of matches doubled. That streamlined format will be seen in the U.S. for the first time in 1963. It, and the addition of four-ball matches, will add to the interest of contestants and spectators alike. Four 18-hole foursomes matches will be played on Friday morning, October 11th, and four more that afternoon. In each foursomes match... Two members of the American team and two members of the British team will oppose one another, each two-man unit playing alternate shots with one ball. Four 18-hole matches will be played on Saturday morning, October 12th, and four more that afternoon. 
each man playing his own ball, and the better ball of each two-man unit counting against the better ball of the opposing unit. Eight 18-hole singles matches will be played on Sunday morning, October 13th, and eight more that afternoon. In each singles match, one American and one Briton will meet under regular match play conditions. Preceding the international matches, host pro Harold Sargent put on a Ryder Cup Pro-Am over his improved course. They called it the Ryder Cup Pro-Am. It was played in April, six months before the big event. Most of the top players were in Augusta at that time of year for the Masters, and most of them came back by Eastlake for the Pro-Am, which was largely a fun affair for the pros as well as the amateurs, since the prize money was hardly more than enough to pay expenses. The Pro-Am was won by the team of Julius Boros, playing with Charlie Harrison and John Shea, both AAC members, and William Branch. The winning foursome score was 59. The lowest individual score of the day was the 66, turned in by Gary Player, who, interestingly enough on that occasion, drew a larger gallery than Arnold Palmer. Closest to Player were Dave Reagan, Jay Ebert, and Stan Leonard with 68s. The new Masters champion, Jack Nicklaus, turned in a two-under-par 70. Six months later, the Ryder Cup matches were held on the Atlanta Athletic Club's East Lake course. Some of the most detailed reports of these matches were from the pen of Ed Miles, AAC member and golf reporter for the Atlanta Journal, and the consensus is that they should be recorded here for posterity. Ed Miles wrote, The Ryder Cup teams of the U.S. and the British Isles battled to a 2-2 tie in Friday morning's round of the starting foursomes in the 15th Biennial International Golf Competition at East Lake Country Club. The upset of the morning was the 3-2 defeat of U.S. Captain Arnold Palmer playing with Johnny Pott by the youthful British team of Brian Huggett and George Will. Billy Casper and Dave Reagan were the American match winners with a one-up victory over the British team of Peter Alice and Christy O'Connor. The American team of Gene Littler and Dal Finsterwald only achieved a squared match with Harry Wheatman and Dave Thomas after having held a two-up lead through the 16th hole. The Americans bogeyed the 17th and lost the 18th to a 20-foot birdie putt by Wheatman. The other halved match was between the American team of Tony Lima and Julius Boros and Britain's Bernard Hunt and Neil Coles. The Americans were one up coming to the final green, but Lima pushed his tee shot to the right of the green while Hunt, hitting for the British, landed on the green about 20 feet away. Boros chipped short and Lima missed a 12-foot stab for the par the ball stopping on the lip of the cup. Palmer and Pott were even through the 15th and lost three straight holes to be closed out. Will sank an approach shot to win the 15th. The closeout on the 16th came when Pott pushed his approach shot beneath the trees and behind the traps on the right, and Palmer's attempted pitch to the green caught a low-hanging limb and fell back into the trap, and the American side wound up with a double bogey six. The British, short with their second, chipped on to get down in two for a bogey five, which was good enough for the victory. Reagan saved the U.S. triumph in their match on the 18th by sinking a seven-foot putt left him by Casper. Wheatman sank a 20-foot uphill birdie putt to gain a halve for himself and Thomas against Littler and Finsterwald. In the Huggett-Will and Palmer pot match, Will saved a hole by sinking a 30-footer on the 4th, and Pot made an American save on the 10th by knocking in a 20-footer. Huggett needed a seven-foot putt for the winning bogey five, which closed out the match on the 16th. 
The number one American team of Palmer and Pott lost the first hole when Palmer missed a four-foot putt attempt at par. Pott had driven into the rough on the left, and Palmer made an excellent out but short of the pin, leaving a 35-foot uphill putt. Pott's approach putt fell short, most likely because of the excess dew so early in the morning. They pulled even with the British on the 5th when Will drove into a deep rough and Huggett scuffed coming out. By using four to reach the green, their double bogey allowed the Americans to win with a bogey five. Casper and Reagan went one up on the second hole with a par when O'Connor pushed his tee shot. After Alice hit out of bounds on the third, the resulting seven put the American team two up. It was a gawky seven by Palmer and Pott on the 380-yard dogleg seventh that put them one down to Huggett and Will, at which status they made the turn. Casper and Reagan were short on the approach to the 470-yard fifth hole, allowing Alice O'Connor to pull even. But O'Connor hit into the water on the tight little sixth hole, and his side fell one down again. Wheatman, playing with Dave Thomas, put his side one up on Littler Finsterwald with a 12-foot birdie putt on the first hole after Thomas made a comfortable approach. Following Wheatman's booming drive almost into the flat over the crest of the first fairway, Alice and O'Connor fell two down at the turn when O'Connor had to play it safe short of the lake after Alice had pushed his tee shot into the rough. Alice's third rolled into the trap. O'Connor's out was five feet away, but Alice missed the putt. Coles, playing with Bernard Hunt, knocked in a 35-foot birdie putt on the second hole to put his side one up on America's Boros and Lima, but missed an approach shot that cost him and Hunt the third to square the match. Two booming shots put Boros and Lima on the 470-yard fourth for two easy putts and a par four, where the East Lake members ordinarily play a par five. Another bogey on the long downhill fifth put Coles and Hunt two down, but one of the lost holes was retrieved with a fine approach and one putt for a birdie on the seventh. The British pair went two down again at the ninth when Hunt pushed an approach almost into the parking lot, and Boros and Lima worked out an easy par five. Thomas and Wheatman fell even when they bogeyed the fourth by failing to reach the green in two. They went one down with a bogey on the seventh and two down with a birdie three by Littler and Finsterwald on the eighth. Littler and Finsterwald dropped the ninth to a birdie by playing short of the lake, while Thomas, hitting off a big drive by Wheatman, rolled into the trap from which Wheatman exploded to leave a four-foot putt, which Thomas canned. Casper Reagan lost the 11th to Alice O'Connor when Casper, hitting for the American side, sliced off into the trees, the result being a double bogey five when Reagan overhit the recovery shot. All of this left the morning round at 2-2, but the Americans came back in the afternoon to pile up a lead of 6-2 for the first day's round. Palmer teamed with Casper for the afternoon round, faced his morning opponents, and after winning the first five holes, finally beat Huggett and Will 5-4. Billy Maxwell and Bob Golby, who had not played in the morning round, teamed against Wheatman and Thomas and beat the British pair 4-3. In the Saturday round, in which each golfer played his own ball instead of taking alternate shots with his partner, the Americans moved still farther ahead, teamed the second day with Finsterwald, Palmer and his playing mate took on Huggett and Thomas in the morning and Coles and O'Connor in the afternoon match. These two Americans had a best ball of 13 under par for the 30 holes they played to win their pre-lunch round by 5-4. and four. In the afternoon match, 3-2. 
They set a record with a 31 on the front side in the morning and broke it with a 29 in the afternoon. With the lopsided score, the U.S. team needed to win only four of the 16 singles matches to be played the last day. The morning round went less well than expected, with Captain Palmer, Johnny Pott, Julius Boros, and Dow Finsterwald getting beat, and Billy Casper breaking even with Neil Coles. The Americans came back in the afternoon, however, to win all of their matches except Lima's tie with Alice. Sunday's results were reported as follows. Morning. Lima defeated Jeffrey Hunt 5-3. Huggett defeated Pot 3-1. Casper Coles even. Alice defeated Palmer 1-up. Littler defeated O'Connor 1-up. Wheatman defeated Boros 1-up. Golby defeated Thomas 3-2. And Bernard Hunt defeated Finsterwald 2-up. Afternoon. Palmer defeated Will 3-2. Reagan defeated Coles 2-1. Lima even with Alice. Littler defeated Tom Halliburton 6-5. Boros defeated Wheatman 2-1. Maxwell defeated O'Connor 2-1. Finsterwald defeated Thomas 4-3. And Golby beat Bernard Hunt 2-1. Total points were shown as Friday, U.S. 6, British 2. Saturday, U.S. 6, British 2. And Sunday, U.S. 11, British 5. Adding up to a final score of 23-9. Crowds to see the tournament were estimated by officials and newsmen to vary between 7,500 and 12,000 for the various matches. After the tournament, Bobby Jones, who was on hand for most of it, wrote this letter to H.C. Heike Allen Jr. Bobby wrote, I just thought I would tell you that there is not one single thing coming to my attention or notice about the Ryder Cup matches that failed to give me pleasure. More specifically, the golf course was beautiful. The crowds well-behaved and knowledgeable, the players skillful and attractive, and the general functioning as smooth as possible. This could not have been done without a lot of work and splendid organization. I'm writing this identical letter to you and to Harold Sargent, since you were the two principally responsible for bringing the matches here and for having them done up in a style reflecting considerable credit upon the club and the town. Many thanks to you both. Sincerely, Bobby Jones. The solid gold Ryder Cup trophy was retained by the Americans for the 12th time in 15 tries.